I want us to turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. book of Hebrews chapter 12, we're going through a series called Sons and Daughters of God, looking at our relationship with the Father in heaven. And I want to begin reading in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll read down through verse 11. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 and verse 4. By the way, if some of you don't know my parents, so I'm going to ask them just to stand up real quick. And my aunt must well stand up with them, okay? If you three can stand up, they love doing this. All right? This is my mom and dad, okay? And my aunt Edith, uh, all of whom trusted Christ within two weeks of each other, and then their extended families uh, came to know Christ. So it's, just, it's, it's a neat story. You think about how God works and how he desires to work in and through our lives. So I'm, I'm proud of my parents, happy that they're here with us today. So, and it's interesting, I'm talking about the father's discipline today since my dad is here because <laughs> he was a disciplinarian, okay? He believed in corporal punishment. <laughs> I bear no scars, but I can bear witness, okay? <laughs> Hebrews 12 verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, my son. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline or lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those that he loves and he punishes everyone that he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. In our series on sons and daughters of God, we have been looking at a few thoughts. One is that we have been chosen by God in love. Secondly, that we become children of God by faith in Christ. And third, as a result of our adoption into His family, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have, by virtue of God's grace, become sons and daughters of God. This text in Hebrews 12 is a powerful reminder of another aspect of what it means to be sons and daughters of God. It's a, a passage of Scripture that deals fundamentally or primarily with the topic of discipline as evidence of love. And so the topic of my discussion this morning is proof of the Father's love. What is it? that proves to you in a substantial way on an ongoing daily basis that God loves you. What proves to you that He loves you? Hebrews is a fascinating book because it's written to Christians who are struggling in their experience. They have been tempted. If you look at the end of verse 3, it says, 
he, he's saying things to them <clears throat> so that they do not grow weary and lose heart at the end of verse 3. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. The idea is, man up, stand up. What was going on in the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews is written to early believers who were enduring suffering under uh, the Caesars of Rome. Severe persecution. Some to the point of death referenced at the end of chapter 11. That has not happened to the audience of the book of Hebrews yet. And so he can say to them, you have resisted, but not yet to the point of shedding of blood like the Savior did. But whatever they were experiencing was having the effect of discouragement upon their hearts. They were getting ready to throw in the towel. They were experiencing weak knees and limp arms at the end, if you would, of the boxing match of life. The aim of this passage of Scripture is to encourage their resolve to stand in the midst of difficulty. Okay, to stand in the midst of difficulty. Whatever it is that they're going through has weakened their commitment, and this text is written to encourage their commitment. So verse 3, the end of it, and verse 12, stand as calls to strengthen yourselves. Uh, reman up, if you will. And get ready to live the life that God has called you to live. Why is this call necessary? And I think the answer is that we live in a world that is fallen. We live in a world where we will face opposition. We live in a world where we will experience sickness, suffering, things that can be eminently discouraging to us, opposition from friends, temptations, all kinds of things that come against us that God could remove, but for some reason doesn't. And in the midst of those circumstances, we are told to stand up and to continue to be the man, women, and young people of God that He wants us to be. That's the fundamental thrust of this whole book, the book of Hebrews. When you come to this passage of Scripture, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the means of encouragement that God is employing to rekindle the fire of these struggling believers? Okay, what is the means that God is going to use to fan into flame the embers that are about to go out? Now, He comes alongside of them to help them. What is the means that He uses? And the means that He uses are twofold. If you go back up and read verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. So the first thing He does is He says, Look back at Christ. Look at what he endured. He did suffer to the point of the shedding of blood. That is the giving of his life. You haven't gone that far, verse 4. So when you struggle, when you need encouragement, when you are beat up by the circumstances of life, what do you need to do? You need to look to Jesus. Okay, so the first means of encouragement that he employs is Jesus Christ himself and his example, as he did the Father's will. But the second means of encouragement to me is somewhat fascinating. It begins in verse 5, runs down through verse 6. It's a quote from the book of Proverbs. So the first encouragement to steadfastness, okay, to hanging in there, is look at Jesus. He went all the way through to the end and did his Father's will perfectly. The second encouragement that he gives them is from the Word of God. And so verse 5 he says, you have forgotten the word of encouragement. This is somewhat of a warning. It's somewhat of an implied rebuke. Okay, that the people 
that are receiving this letter have forgotten what God has said to them in the past. And what does he do? He pulls up an Old Testament text, verses 5 through 6, and he wants that word to speak to them. And notice how he says this. You have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Okay, we've talked about this as that generic. It addresses you as sons and daughters. It talks to you as sons and daughters of God. And it is a word of encouragement. And what's fascinating is, it is the word that it addresses you, is the way the New International says it. The, the word in the original language is, it is the word that dialogues with you. It is the word that engages you in a give and take discussion about who God is and how much He loves you. So the, the thrust of this passage of Scripture is to focus our attention on encouragement in our times of struggle as the Word of God speaks to you as sons. It is a word of encouragement that is meant to strengthen, resolve, which is fading. Okay? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands this morning if you're experiencing some degree of discouragement in your life as a Christian. Because I believe most of us would be surprised to realize how many of us wrestle with seasons of discouragement in the Christian experience. God knows that. He's aware of those struggles. And His Word comes to be a means of encouragement. And this text addresses you, and I just love this, this text is meant to address you as sons. And that theme of being sons and daughters of God, knowing that, being reminded of it, is meant to encourage your walk with God. So as you read Hebrews 12, 5, and 6, hear this. God, through this text, is addressing you. If you know Jesus Christ and have been born again, He is addressing you as sons and daughters. Which means, He aims in the midst of your discouragement to bring into your life encouragement. And the idea is, the arms that are hanging at the side and the knees that are weak at the end of the boxing match, what is he saying? you got one more round to go. Okay, he's, the, he's the, the trainer that cries in from the corner and says, I want to help you. Man up. Strengthen yourself. I am for you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Okay, that's the, kind of the aim of this text. The question that necessarily then emerges is this. What is the discipline that he's talking about here? Okay, and if I give you this definition of this one, what is discipline? Discipline involves training, correcting, and educating. Okay, it involves training, <clears throat> correcting, and educating. That's what the parental life is like, and God is responding to us as sons. Here's the question. If God is training, correcting, and educating us through our circumstances in life, why is He doing it? What is it that He is seeking to encourage us by. And I, I just want to identify some encouragements that flow out of discipline in our daily experience. The discipline can be corrective measures from God. It can also be circumstances that God in His wisdom allows to come into your life that you and I would not choose. <clears throat> but He allows them to come, just like the people in, in the book of Hebrews. They were experiencing circumstances, corrective measures from God, a word from God that was meant to build them up. Okay, it was a means or measure of discipline. So let's, let's look at this passage asking this question. How does God aim for His discipline to encourage us as His children? Let's read then verses 5 and 6. The word that is addressed to every Christian as a son or daughter. He says, <clears throat> my son. And he, 
It's amazing to me how the writer is using this. God now speaks to us. My son. In this, he is addressing us. Do not make light of my discipline. And do not lose heart when I rebuke you. Because I discipline those that I love. And I punish everyone that I accept as a son. Okay, this is a powerful statement. I'm, I'm putting it into the words of God because it's how the writer of Hebrews is employing the text here. He's saying this is from God addressing you as sons. What's the first encouragement that emerges? The first one, I think, in verses 5 and 6 is this. It is discipline proves and assures us of God's love. Discipline proves and assures us of God's love. The warning in verse 5 is, don't forget this. Don't set this aside. And further in verse 5, what does he say? Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart. The idea of making light is to disregard, shrug, shrug off, neglect, or ignore. And implied is a warning. Don't make light of what God is allowing to come into your life. Don't shrug it off. Don't resist it. Don't be callous towards the struggles that he allows. He has an aim. Don't complain about it. And secondly, don't lose heart. The idea is, when he rebukes you, don't feel crushed. He aims to encourage you in your heart. So verse 6 will go on to say, because the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Okay? Fundamental thrust here is what? Discipline from a godly or heavenly father is, in fact, an expression of love. How do I know that I'm God's child? How do I find assurance that I am a child of God? you know how? You look at your life and you see how God is seeking to shape you through circumstances that He sovereignly is allowing into your life or through corrective measures that He's bringing into your life. That discipline, that event, that circumstance that you're going through right now that is driving you into God's presence is evidence and proof of His love. Discipline proves that God loves us. The second thought that emerges is this. In verses 6 and 7. It says, Because the Lord disciplines those whom He loves, and He punishes everyone that He accepts as a son. Okay? So what's the implication here? The implication is very clear. If you are a child of God's, okay, He will discipline you, bring corrective measures to teach you and to educate you and that experience is evidence of your sonship so verse 6 can say it is given to everyone that he receives as a son look down then at verse 7 endure hardship as discipline god is treating you as sons okay so if god is allowing circumstances into your life that benefit you he is dealing with you as a son or as a daughter and verse 8 makes it even stronger. It says, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes it, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Now you may say, Pastor Tim, what does that mean? Okay, here's what I think that means. And I think it's actually fairly clear. If my drift into sin is unabated by God, if I can entertain sinful patterns and habits in my life, and experience no negative consequences in my life, then what I have to ask myself is this, am I really a son or daughter of God's? 
Why? Because discipline, corrective measures that educate us are proof of His love, but also they are evidence of sonship. And so in verse 6 he says, he says, the Lord disciplined those that He loves. The verse that comes up into my mind is from Proverbs, I believe it's chapter 29. Dads are told to train up a child in the way they should go. Okay, the way that I know that Don Hoff was my dad is because when I got got out of line, the principal didn't call Mr. Smith. Okay, he called Don Hoff. Okay, and Don Hoff's responsibility was what? To bring corrective measures into my life. Why did the principal assume that? Because I was his son. And I am his son still. Okay, so that experience of discipline from your father evidences that you are in fact his son or daughter. That is to say, he is taking personal responsibility for your experience. And so the instruction that's used here is repeated instruction, continual education, but it also involves correction. You can't read the end of verse 6 and not realize that part of the parental dynamic, okay, is rather strong. He punishes everyone he receives as a son, which seems to imply what? That every child at some point along the way is going to be in need of corrective measures. Those corrective measures in this text are called punishment. Okay, what is it? Punishment is negative consequences for bad behavior. Okay, and every son or daughter of God's experiences this degree of confrontation. Now, why does God discipline? Okay, for the same reason that every parent should bring discipline into the life of their child. And I'm not going to get into an extended discussion about the nature of corporal discipline, okay, or spanking, if you want to use that word. I'm not going to, I believe that it has its appropriate place and should and can be used, but very carefully, okay? So as, as you look at this passage, what, what is it that's happening? He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. The idea is this, okay? To cause the child, after bad behavior, to be thinking as a result of the discipline, I don't want to go there again. Okay, its purpose is to keep a child from wanting to drift back into behavior that is destructive for them. So the discipline then is what? It is the means by which a father or mother expresses love to a child because they will not let them drift off into damaging behavior without confronting them. Okay, there are certain things that if my daughters drifted into them, they would hear from me. Why? Because I'm desiring to punish them or or, or, or come against them? No. It would be out of love. And the same thing is true in your relationship with God. If you begin to seek or entertain behavior that is destructive in your life spiritually and personally, God will confront that behavior. And He does it as a, an expression of His love. For every parent, here's the struggle. We struggle on the human side with the difference between chastisement versus punishment. Because often when we are in the mode of punishing, we are venting. Okay? We're, we're so aggravated by the behavior that we're finally going to deal with it. Okay? I want to tell you something. When you, when you allow bad behavior to multiply and grow, and then you finally deal with it, typically you are guilty of punishing your child. Okay? What should you be doing? You should be chastising your child. Okay, so the biblical idea of punishment here is it is, it is 
corrective measures that are meant to improve the child's life. It's not to cause them pain primarily, but it is pain that is meant to correct their behavior. Or a loss that is meant to inflict some degree of pain in their life, okay, that will cause them to rethink how they're living their lives. The same thing is true in our relationship with God. For every parent here this morning, I want to just make this very clear to you. It is irresponsible for us to avoid bad, or, or, or to tolerate bad behavior in the life of our children. Why? Because ultimately it says to them, I don't care about you as deeply as I should. Okay? Whom a father loves, what does he do? He disciplines. He brings corrective measures into their life. The goal is always to bring them back where they ought to be. So the test that you can ask yourself this morning is this. Okay, when I drift into sin, does God pursue me? Does he move into my life with corrective measures to get me back where he wants me to be? If he does, it is evidence of the fact that you are a son or daughter of God. The purpose of it is not to discourage, but to prove one's love. Let's then look at verses 7-8 to move on to the next encouragement that emerges. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Okay? Verse 7 gives us and starts out with a powerful command. It says, endure hardship as discipline. Okay? The idea here is this, okay? When you face difficult circumstances, don't resist them and run from them, okay? Stay put, okay? The idea is man up, bear up, remain under the pressure because the pressure has an aim from God and the aim of that pressure, okay, is to cause you to be and to make you to be the man or woman or young person that God desires for you to be. The idea is to patiently endure, to patiently bear up under that hardship because it is a means that God is using to make you what He wants you to be. The idea is don't drop out. Instead, embrace it with the right attitude. Why? Because in that discipline, God is dealing with you as a son or a daughter. His aim is to bring maturity into your life, to move you forward in your Christian experience. It's not punishing, it's not venting from a bad mood, but he is treating you as sons. So the question that all of us have to face in light of a text like this is this. In the circumstances that God is allowing me to go through or has allowed me to go through, am I resenting those circumstances? Or am I bearing up under them? Saying, God, under this circumstance, make me strong. I've heard someone say this, I don't know if it's true, but the illustration sounds good even if it's not true. When wind blows against trees and shakes them, and then I'll talk to Tim Matthews after the service and find out if this is really true. Okay? The idea in the, that I read about was this, that when wind blows trees, loosening up the root bed, it allows the trees to find room to grow new roots down into that loose soil. And, it, and the result of the pressure is what? An increased stabilization, if the illustration is true. Okay? So what does God do? God allows pressure to come into our life. Winds blow. 
loosens up the soil, hardened soil of our lives so that we can begin to experience new growth that results in greater stability. And if you're experiencing the winds of trouble in your life, why is God allowing it to come? He aims to grow you. His goal is not to destroy. Now, is it possible that sometimes parents can overdo it with their kids and crush their spirit? Yes. That's why in the book of Colossians, Paul says, don't exasperate your children. Don't sow discipline that you kill their spirit. Confront their will. Don't kill their spirit. What is God doing? He is dealing with us as sons. He aims through the struggle and through the trial to strengthen, to deepen the roots and make us more substantial and stable in Him. He is dealing with you or disciplining you as sons. Flip ahead one page in your Bible to the book of James. Book of James chapter 1 and verse 2. Talking once again about difficult circumstances. What does James say in verse 2? He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Why would I say that the bad thing is a good thing? Why would I say that Father's discipline is a positive experience? Why would, it, why would I embrace it and remain under it and gladly receive it? Why? Because I know that the outcome of it is positive. What does James say? Count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith is developing perseverance, and perseverance is going to finish its work, that you might become mature. That's the idea. So the purpose of discipline is to cultivate in the life of a child maturity. It's to prepare them for their adult life. And the same thing is true in our wise relationship with our Father. And so the thought that emerges from verses 7 and 8 is this. Discipline is for our benefit. Its aim is to carry us forward to make us more mature. Now I remember as a young kid thinking to myself as I would watch other teenagers, probably hit me most when I was a teenager, I watched kids that live with a large degree of freedom okay, in their home, a complete lack of discipline. It was just like the parents didn't exist or they didn't really care. I remember as a teenager thinking this to myself. Sometimes I wish that my dad didn't seem to have eyes all over the planet that I live on. Like I, I, would, I would think that. There were, there were times that I would literally envy the lack of discipline in the life of my friends. Because they could get away with and do things that I couldn't do. As an adult, guess what? I feel sorry for those that didn't experience discipline. Because in many cases, it destroyed their life, the lack thereof. You know what, Jane, what, is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying? The writer of Hebrews is saying is, when God allows pressure to come, endure it as discipline. Take it as the corrective, educational, teaching instrument of God in your life. He is treating you, and this word says, verse 7, God is treating you or dealing with you as sons. Meaning, he is expressing a fatherly concern for your benefit and growth. Christian friend, listen. When you face, or if you currently are facing struggles in your life, whether they are physical or spiritual, whatever they are, okay, God wants you to hang in there and to trust his divine providence that is allowing James 1, 2, those circumstances to come into your life. He aims to mature you, to grow you, to make you better. What is our tendency? Our tendency is to envy people whose lives seem to be going along quite well. 
because we think that without the struggle, life would be happier. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I thought of the, the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 20. What does Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be His name. You know what Job was saying? Father, I accept the circumstances that you have given or allowed that I would never choose. I accept them. I receive them from you as evidence of your love and grace. Now, here's what to me is fascinating. If verse 7 says that the Father disciplines every son he receives, how does the gospel come through in that text? He disciplines every son that he receives. Here's the difference. God's correction in your life is never meant as condemnation. And I think it is critical that we understand the difference between the corrective hand of God in our life and condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, if you're in Christ, there is therefore now what? No condemnation. It's taken away. So what you are experiencing from God is not meant to condemn you. It is meant to correct, to help, and to assist you. And that's why he says, remain under it, because that discipline that you're experiencing has the aim of your benefit in mind. Mom and Dad, and I just give you this encouragement, be sure that your intervention in the lives of your children has their best interest in mind. Okay, be sure that it's not venting, that it's not out of frustration, it's not out of aggravation. It has their best interest in mind. Okay, their progress and their growth, because that is how God deals with us. Then verses 9 and 10. He says, moreover, and that's just to say, moving on to another aspect of this topic, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits, that is, to the Heavenly Father who created us, and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us, that is that God in contrast disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. Now the thought that emerges here is this. God's discipline through whatever circumstances you're facing is perfect. It's perfect. Does it feel perfect? No, that's not what He says though. Okay. What's happening in these verses? We, we have a contrast between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. Between a human father and our spiritual father. His, that is God's discipline, is always best suited to our needs because He has full knowledge. Human fathers, the text says in verse 7, or in verse 9, it says, we had human fathers, they disciplined us, and we respected them. <clears throat> verse 10, He says, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Okay, now what's the implication there? Most human parents are trying to do, quite simply, the best that they can. Okay, that's, we, we want. Now sometimes do we need encouragement and instruction to get more involved in the disciplinary process of raising our kids? Absolutely. But I believe at the heart of it, what all of us want for our kids is the best. Some people don't understand that hard things are good things for kids. Okay? They, they don't understand what tough love really is and why it is so beneficial. God understands it. 
Okay? In the analogy, what, he's, what is he saying? <clears throat> Earthly fathers disciplined us for a time in the way that they seemed best. Which is to say what? Every human parent at some time along the line has had to apologize to their child for going a little bit over the top. For overreacting. For having limited knowledge in a circumstance. Every human parent has done that. And has experienced that, that frustrating time when we have injured our children in a way that we did not intend to, whether emotionally or physically. They disciplined us, but sometimes human parents get it wrong. Sometimes they do it correctly. Sometimes harshly, out of pride, or unfairly, or with limited information, or because they had a bad day, or were tired, or were under stress. Sometimes, as human parents, we, we go over the top. Okay, and my guess would be that every parent sitting in this room can look back in their life and realize there were times when they did or should have apologized to their child for how they treated them. What is this text saying? Okay, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For human parents, what do we have to do? We have to apologize sometimes. We have to say, you know what, honey, in that situation, I overreacted. I reached too far. I didn't know X, Y, and Z. And if I did, I would never have said this to you. Okay, here's the cool thing. God never has to make such allowances. Ever. His hand of discipline in the circumstances that come into your life is perfect. He has complete information about your life. So, whatever He has allowed to come into your life is ultimately for your benefit and good. Through it, He aims to bring correction and teaching and direction into your life and into your experience. You know what our tendency is to do when God disciplines? It's to shrug it off. It's to treat it, as verse 5 said, to treat it lightly, to disregard it, to not receive it. And so my encouragement to you this morning is this. If God's discipline is as stated here, perfect, and the idea that, that emerges in verse 10, God disciplines us for our good. That is, He does what is best. He is the Father in contrast to every faulty human father, including me. He is the Father in contrast. What He brings into our lives, He allows to come so that, and I just love the goal. Notice the goal in verse 10. Because this is, the, this is what we as God's children should be striving for. That we would be holy men and women and young people. That we would share in God's character. Why does God bring discipline? Why does He allow circumstances that are like a fire in our lives? To burn the dross off. So that we may, and I love this, so that we may share in His holiness. In His character. Which is utterly perfect. God allows pressure into our lives to advance our walk and growth in Him. We may at times resist the Father's discipline. We may at times question the Father's discipline. With our earthly fathers, it is completely appropriate. Why? Because we can get it wrong. But with God, we must respond with simple faith. And I fall back to verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. Say, God, I don't know why you're allowing this into my life, but I trust you. Because that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? Doesn't it? Do I trust God in this circumstance that He through it is going to be shaping more and more of His blessed character into my life? Romans 8 helps us to understand the ultimate aim of this. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. 
in all disciplinary circumstances and all pressures that he allows. To those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's his aim, his goal. So that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those that he predestined, he also called. And those that he called, he also justified. And those that he justified, he also glorified. So through the circumstances that we are facing in our life, that are difficult, that we would resist, what is God doing? God is perfectly seeking to aim us towards His character and His likeness. Now, in the midst of this text, in verse 9, He says, We all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Now, what's the implication? They were fallen, flawed, Sometimes over the top, but what did we do, normatively speaking? Yes, mom, yes, dad. In spite of the fact that they were what? Imperfect at times. We've respected them. And what what does the writer of Hebrews say? How much more then? If we respected imperfect fathers, how much more should we say to God, who is perfect in heaven, who aims for our growth, how much more should we say to Him, God, I received this circumstance from Your hand. Work in it and through it Your good pleasure in my life. I submit to you. I honor you. And the picture is this idea of a, how much more should we respond to our Father in heaven and allow what He has brought into our life, realizing that it is tailor-made or suited perfectly. Should we not receive it so that it can do its work in us? And <clears throat> at the end of verse, uh, verse 9, notice what he says. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? I love that word, because it just kind of hangs out there, doesn't it? How much more should we receive what Father is bringing into our life, bear up under it, and then what happens? Then we really live. Here's what happens. If you constantly run from difficulty, you will find that you never mature in your life. If you constantly avoid struggles and difficult circumstances, you'll never find yourself growing. What is he saying? Stay under the things that God intends to grow you and to build you. Let the leg weights on. Why? Because He aims to strengthen you through those circumstances. And when you are strengthened, what happens? Then you can really begin to live life as He intended. These are people that are alive. You know what He's saying? I want you to know life to its fullest. And the discipline that a father or mother bring into the life of their human child, the aim is that they would have a better life. Hopefully it's not to vent frustration. Hopefully it's not for the purpose of punishment. But it is to drive out bad behavior so that good behavior may emerge and they will really, as adults, live. That's what God's doing. And He does it perfectly. Now, does the fact that He does it perfectly mean that I always understand it perfectly? No. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. God allows circumstances to come into the li- in our lives and to the lives of our friends and family that we would not choose. Okay? But we should trust Him. Okay? And the idea is to remain under because God's discipline is perfectly tailor-made and suited for our growth and benefit. The last thought that emerges from verse 11 is this. And this kind of ties on as at the end. He says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But painful. Okay? I told you, uh, when I was a kid, I received discipline. And there were times that I most certainly deserved and needed it. And needed meaning I benefited from it. 
I don't ever remember a time that my dad spanked me and I turned around and looked at him and said, you know what? Thank you. <laughs> Never. Did I need it? Yes. Did I believe as a child that I needed it? To be honest with you, yeah, I did. I knew that the result of my disobedience was that there was a guilt in my heart that needed to be purged out. It needed to be driven out. And that those measures of discipline were not appreciated, but they were needed. As an adult child, what do we say? We say, God, thank you for bringing that circumstance into my life. Isn't this what Paul means in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? God allowed a discipline, a measure of trouble to come into Paul's life. And what does Paul do? Paul cries out for deliverance. He doesn't want to to remain under it. What does he want? He wants deliverance. And so he goes to God and says, God, can you remove this thorn from me? God's response, you're better with it, Paul. You know what, Paul, when Paul recollects back on that experience of going to Father, you know what he says? God allowed that pressure, that discipline in my life to restrain sin in my life. It's exactly what Paul says. What was the sin that Paul would have been likely to struggle with? Pride. God gave him a circumstance in his life that would cause him to walk in deep humility. And what does Paul say? I will glory in my weakness so that the power of God may rest upon me. I thank God for that weakness because that weakness put me in touch with a greater power and a greater capacity to glorify the one who deserves it. So my concluding thought simply is this. Okay? Discipline, struggle, is not enjoyable. But the result is. The result is. Anyone who's been on a diet, trying to lose weight, hates the process, I hope. Okay, that makes you normal. Okay, I've been wrestling with a few extra pounds, about 10 extra pounds recently, and I'm thinking, I need, to, I need to fight this in order to get to the goal of dropping this extra weight that I've taken on. Okay, the, the process of dieting is never fun. The process of working out to look better is never fun. But when you start to see results, guess what? There's joy in that. And what is the writer of Hebrews saying? He says, no discipline, when it is being experienced, seems fun. But when you win, you know, when the football team, as a result of discipline, wins the trophy, guess what? They're not even thinking about the discipline they went through. They're saying to the coach, thank you for pushing us so hard. They never said that during practice. But they're saying it when they get the trophy. And every person that has had a personal trainer, you've gone to physical therapy, whatever, when, when, when you are given direction, the directions aren't given to you as here. Here's something you might enjoy doing. Like, no, you're not going to like this, but if you do it, you'll get the result of a knee that feels better. Okay? Or of a body that feels better. It's never pleasant. And it's why God says to us, when the trouble comes, remain under it because you're going to have a tendency in trouble. You know what your tendency is? Your tendency is going to want to be to run from it. You're going to want to avoid it. You're not going to want to go to God and say, God, thank you. I received this as from a God who is perfectly tailoring, tailoring the circumstances in my life so that I may share in His holiness. It involves pain. It implies cooperation. Those who have been trained by it, the word is gymnazo, those that have gone to the gymnasium experience a measurable and abiding result from that discipline. When God allows you to go through a time or season of trouble, He aims to bring you out of that gymnasium a better man, a better woman, a better young person. 
But if you continue to cave into the pressures around you, at school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, you will find that you never experience a strengthening of your spiritual muscle. God brings the discipline to make you better, not to make you happy. Okay? He aims to make you a better Christian. So, you need to accept the pain. You need to cooperate with Him. And then the last thought is, it includes a promise. Afterwards, what does it do? It yields a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. For everyone who enters in with God and cooperates with Him in the process, it yields a harvest of number one, righteousness. That is guilt-free living. Okay, that's what righteousness is. And then it yields peace, which is a sense of well-being. Folks, look, every person in this room, I can guarantee you, you want the peace of God that passes all understanding. This text tells you how to get it. Embrace your God-given circumstances that are meant to discipline and move you forward. Embrace them as the perfect will of God in your life and watch what He will do. The key is that in the midst of these struggles, we are willing to cooperate with Him. And I think I could summarize it by saying this. I don't have to enjoy my circumstances. Okay? I do need to receive them. Because the outcome of them will be God-glorifying. And it will, in fact, be good. So, I ask you this question this morning. Are you open to your Father's discipline? Are you open to it? Have you gotten past resenting it? One writer puts it this way. He says, God's discipline can make us bitter. Or it can make us better. You know, some Christians live in the prison of bitterness towards God. Because they don't want to trust Him with their circumstances. They want to demand that He explain their circumstances to them. Okay? You know what this text tells us? You submitted to your earthly father. Was he perfect? No. But you trusted him, didn't you? The answer is typically yes. That's the argument. Then the argument is, how much more should we submit to the father of lights and live? Okay, you want life? You want joyful, abundant Christian living? Submit to God's God's purposes in your life, the circumstances he allows to come. And watch what he will do. Stop being callous to it. Don't resist the word. Receive the word. When you experience it, he is dealing with you as a son. Trust him. Realizing that he is not your dictator. He is your father. He is your creator, but he is your father. He could be your judge, but he is your father. He could condemn you, but what does he do? He corrects you. You see, for every act of rebellion that I commit, I deserve the judgment of God. I deserve condemnation. You know what he does? He takes the condemnation I deserve. He pours it out on his son, Jesus Christ. And changes my life forever. And then he embraces me as a son of his as a result of placing faith in what Christ has done. And he says, okay, we're going to enter into a relationship that is characterized by correction. If you don't know Christ this morning, he wants to know you as a son or daughter. And you come into that relationship simply by John 1.12. But as many as received him, to those that believe on his name, to them he gives the right to become sons and daughters of God. If you don't know him, probably a lot of this isn't making any sense to you this morning. If you do know him, you're saying, you know what, I've had that experience. I have a discipline that God has allowed to come into my life right now, and I've been rejecting it. I need to embrace it. But if you've never trusted Christ, 
His call to you this morning is trust me, believe me. And when you do, you will be born again by the power of the Spirit of God. And He will change your life by His grace forever. Someone has written, and so what do I say? I say, let the rains of disappointment come. If they water the plants of spiritual grace, let the winds of adversity blow. If they serve to root more securely the trees that God has planted, I say, let the sun of prosperity be eclipsed if it brings me closer to the true light of life. Welcome, sweet discipline. Discipline designed for my joy. Discipline designed to make me what God wants me to be. This morning my challenge to you is this. Receive God's discipline. If you're a Christian, if you're not a child of God's, receive His Son, Jesus Christ. And be born from above by the grace of God. And it'll change your life forever. Let the Father's love and discipline be proof that you are indeed His Son and His daughter. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning.